What's going on, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the 50 Plus One Football Podcast, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. I'm Billy, and if he was manager of Schalke, he'd have been sacked already. It's Lewis. Whoa, why, why, are you, why are you being so hateful towards my managing skills? You don't know. I could I could very well be the next Pep Guardiola. It's not, a, it's not a reflection of your managerial skill. It's a reflection of uh, Schalke's trigger-happy firing gun. Yeah, okay, I knew that. I was just trying to, you know, make it a little bit interesting. Anyways, we have a nice little host of topics for you, as Billy said, which does include the managerial sackings of Stuttgart and Schalke and who comes next, because we still don't know. And then we'll move over to Freiburg versus Bayern, how the mighty have fallen, because Freiburg seemed to have ha be having the best Bundesliga season in their club's history. And we all knew what happened on Sunday. Then to cap it all off, we'll have a look at Dortmund. Same procedure as every year. They seem to be having another go at it with a shock loss. Well, we say shock loss, but it was still a blockbuster loss to Union Berlin. And then we'll cap it off with a discussion about goalkeepers, which will flow right into the Premier League, where we will also have a look at Liverpool and Man City. Are Liverpool back on the right track? And we'll also have a look at Ronaldo. Is he only tarnishing his own career and his own image? And to cap it all off, we'll have a little discussion about the Ballon d'Or Awards. And we'll be introducing our new news segment, which is just weird news. Did you hear about that? All that and more right after this. So come on then, let's start with Schalke because you did read me something before we re we started recording. Well, and that was just the fact that they have failed to secure a replacement for Frank Kramer. Um, interim manager Matthias Kreutzer will be taking over. He already did after the firing of Dimitrios uh, Gramuzis, uh last season. Um you know, coached them to a 3-0 win, if you like, but it was over FC Ingolstadt, you know, um, and in the second Bundesliga. But that is the reality of Schalke right now, and it's the fact that they just cannot seem to be getting a manager to fulfill Schalke's ambitions and actually get them on the right track. You know, every season it seems like they're having a, a new manager. You know, we remember the season where they had five in one season when they went down and got relegated two seasons ago. And it just doesn't seem to be getting any better. You know, even in the straight back up promotion year last season, they went through two managers. And it's just, it just keeps going. You know, and if if we're being honest, the amount of viable candidates out there it's looking pretty slim well that article you sent me yesterday reading some of the names on there that are deemed not up to the to the challenge of of avoiding relegation the likes of Adi Hutter, Pellegrino, Matarazzo that's what they need they need a relegation avoiding specialist to come in for the rest of the season they need a caretaker for the rest of the season and yeah, then but... they can have a, a manager with some structure. The, the thing is, they need to stay in. There's no point in employing someone who 
specialises in avoiding relegation to then give them the job full-time when they can't take the club forward because then you're just going to end up sacking them again. Yeah, but, you know, shouldn't they be looking to avoid manager turnover? I mean, yes, they were going to be looking at this season as, first of all, being a fight to stay in the Bundesliga because, you know, obviously we're looking at Schalke who went and hit rock bottom. And now they have to cut. Now they have to try and get back up. So this season was, you know, from the get go, going to be how can we stay up? How can we manage to just basically keep ourselves in the Bundesliga, and then we can look at maybe, you know, what the next steps are. Shouldn't we? Shouldn't shouldn't we be talking about the fact that you know they need a manager who can who can maybe stay on longer? Because I think you know you do a whole nother uh thing of yeah we'll hire felix magat for instance and he keeps us up where is that going to get you he's going to leave at the end of the season again and then you have another manager who has to come in and rebuild he you know put in his own philosophy then he going he's going to turn over the whole roster of players he's going to have a look at the squad there's going to be new things coming in and then if that doesn't work then you're left with you know, the same situation you are in right now. Yeah, but say they get someone like Adi Hutter. I'm not saying they will, but say say they get someone of that caliber. Can he avoid relegation and then go on and rebuild that squad? I mean, it, it is a double-edged sword because there's gonna be there's gonna be pros and cons either way. You know, if you if you go with the fact that you know we're just gonna focus on this season, you're only focusing on this season, which is in and of itself, already a pro and a con simultaneously. Well, is it a similar situation? Because we've mentioned them. We've mentioned, well, the manager anyway. Uh, Matarazzo. Sacked by Stuttgart. Is it a similar situation for them then? Because, yeah, okay, a 6-0 win against Bielefeld in the cup yesterday. Sort of papers over the cracks. Because they, yeah. are, they are 14th. Yeah, but there's a reason... Matarazzo got the sack. You know, he they right away they you know managed to secure a statement win over arguably one of their rivals in the relegation fight in Falfe Bohol. I mean, yes, I'd say they are, but in other in other aspects, I say no because I'd argue Schalke are even worse right now or in a worse state than Stuttgart are. Which just seems to be a massive vicious cycle though, doesn't it? Especially for Schalke. Oh yeah. I mean the 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 very there is a very real threat of becoming a yo-yo club. So is it is it the uh is it the above people above? Is it the the powers that be? Is it the board? Is it I mean I I don't rate the players the players at Schalke at all well i mean one of the things that basically was glossed over a little bit was the fact that Schalke had a severe mismanagement of funds already in the season where they got relegated we're not even talking you know last season we're talking about the season before that there was a severe lack of funds um available to invest in the squad they were in debt actually and they had to basically work to pay that off first before they could even think about investing in the squad, something that you know f doesn't exist in the world of uh, Barcelona, for instance. 
Um, but you know, that that was basically the point where they were at. And if we're being honest, a season in the second Bundesliga doesn't exactly work wonders uh, for you financially. It if you know obviously makes everything worse. So for them to get promoted again was already a pretty good job. But you know they've had a lot of turnover in management as well. You know they they had the whole thing. You know some of you might uh, remember back in the day when there was that racism uh, scandal surrounding Clemens Tunius, um, the uh, basically the CEO and you know that he was barred for three months and then straight straight away was let back into the club uh something that was also really just didn't make any sense um they've had a lot of turnover in the in the sporting director position um you know Wolfgang Schröder has not been in there all that long uh it is a lot of powers that be basically because you know you also have the turnover in the management positions how is there going to be any continuity when you've got management turnover? You're not going to be able to get continuity in the club anyway, let alone in the squad. Yeah, but it's it's players like, well, they've got uh, Flora Mollet. Uh, they signed him from Montpellier. It was good for Montpellier, but they played him three times this season. Uh, you know, Alex Crow couldn't get a sniff in at, at West Ham on loan. Sebastian Poulter. Okay, he was good last season, but he's coming towards the end of his career. Maya Yoshida, again, the end of his career. They're signing the wrong players. Well, I think there was a... I mean, the only way I can explain that is basically there was was this thinking that you could maybe, through experience, manage to get something um, out of that squad. Basically have the experienced players do what was necessary and basically keep them up. But, you know, obviously that, that plan has backfired, you know, if we're being honest. Um, one of their big signings was Schwolo from Hertha BSC Berlin. It's kind of sad to see the downfall of Schwolo almost because, you know, when he was playing for Freiburg, people were saying, oh, this guy is going places. And, you know, he was basically like after, because Freiburg have turned out a lot of good, you know, minimum decent level keepers if we're looking back we're talking about oliver baumann who's now already made appearances for the uh, german national team woman burke went on to play for dortmund and was pretty solid up until he had his downfall at dortmund um and you know schwuller was basically supposed to be the next thing that was gonna come out of uh freiburg and then he goes and signs for hertha berlin and that basically you know is a sh- is a sinking ship so for him to then basically go to Schalke, that was already a big thing because they needed someone good on the goal for the goalkeeping position. But you know, outside of that, and even Schwolo has been rocky at times. I was going to say I'm pretty sure he picked up on it last season. There's a lot of mistakes. Yeah, and you know they they they've got guys like Simon Terodde, who's basically Mister Second Bundesliga. He's got the most goals of any player in the history of the second Bundesliga, but the few times he managed to or get get himself a spot in at a Bundesliga club, it just hasn't worked out. And again, this season, we're looking at two goals in 10 games. Well, it's a little bit like a... a you, you won't, probably won't know who this is, but there was a striker called Jordan Rhodes who was 
amazing in the championship, came up to the Premier League with, I think, Huddersfield, maybe Blackburn as well, and just couldn't couldn't do it. But he was fantastic in the championship. But uh, that's enough for Schalke. Shall we move on? And a, a slightly uncharacteristic display by Freiburg. Well, yeah, especially if you consider the fact that they were second in the league up until, you know, the spanking they received in Munich. To be fair, they were making a lot out of, you know, very little. When you look at their goal difference, for instance, you know, before the game, they had a goal difference of 14 to 8. And they weren't getting glamorous results, but they were, you know, they were scoring their one to two goals every game, with the exception of Augsburg. They were just winning 1-0, maybe scrapping together two goals. 3-2 against Leverkusen, although Leverkusen this season have also been kind of rocky. But it wasn't a lot of goals. And they were basically known for their fact for the fact that they were defensively sound. So for them to all of a sudden fall apart, you know, Christian Streich said in the post-match interviews, we were physically and mentally not ready to take the fight to Bayern. Whereas I should, I, I would argue it's arguably one of the best times to play Bayern Munich. Eric Maxim Chupamoting up front, yeah, okay, he got his goal, but no Manuel Neuer. Surely that's a massive boost to anyone anyway. I mean, you say that, but when we remember Sven Ulreich's uh, lone season where he basically was standing in for Neuer when he was injured, 2017-18, um, up until the Champions League semi-final, Ulreich was a solid goalkeeper who a lot of people were saying should be called up to the German national team. But, I mean, obviously it's not down to Ulreich. It's down to the fact that Bayern, I think, have managed to now you know, with Chupamoting, as funny as it may sound, he is right now providing them a lifeline because he is a focal point up top, which they've been missing all season. And that is a, you know, full-blown number nine. I, taking away from uh, Freiburg, just a minute, we'll get back to them in a sec. Where do you think, because I don't know what the... the buzz around Harry Kane is in Germany. But over here, there's quite a lot of, oh yeah, Bayern want Harry Kane. Bayern want, they want to buy Harry Kane and they want it to be their Lewandowski replacement. Is it the same in Germany? Is it? Oh yeah, definitely. So it is as big out there as it is over here. It's not just a, yeah, a tabloid I mean, story. No, no, it's not a tabloid story because the, the thing is, if we're being honest, you want to replace... Lewandowski with a similar level of player. I'm not saying you can replace him outright because you just can't. Um, but if we're talking about the most adequate replacement who's not too old, Harry Kane basically fits the bill. And if we're being honest, there's probably no time better suited to be making these statements. Um because looking at his contract situation, 2024, which means next summer, Tottenham are going to be under pressure to either get him a contract extension or it's the last summer they can get money for him. So 
you know, it's not, it doesn't seem a fluke because I think a season or two ago, that is never going to happen, not in a million years. And because Daniel Levy, I mean, he already barred the move to Man City, you know, season uh, a season ago for a hundred mil. Um, and yeah, I most of the most of the media outlets in Germany are basically reporting if anything, it would have been a move twenty twenty three, and Bayern are definitely interested. Um, it's just a question of Harry Kane actually wanting to do it, and Harry Kane you know, has been asked about this. I think it was a couple of weeks ago and he was basically like, yeah, I've heard about, you know, the rumors and, you know, Bayern are a fantastic club, massive club, but I'm concentrating on Tottenham right now, which, you know, obviously all the media outlets in Germany basically said, oh, well, he hasn't said no. So, you know, could be. Well, it's one to keep an eye on. Just before we move on to, uh, Dortmund's typical downfall. Is it going to be difficult for Freiburg to bounce back from that? Is it is this the start where they start to drop off? Is this the bit where they sort of settle into fifth, sixth place? Well, I mean, if we're being honest, it fifth and sixth aren't that far off. You know, looking at the table now, they're only two points off of sixth. I was gonna say there's two points between them and third oh, and Dortmund in eighth. Oh, oh, yeah, I was about to say, the, there are three teams right now who sit 6th, 7th, and 8th, which are Gladbach, Köln, and Dortmund, all on 16 points. And, you know, they're only three points off of ninth. So, realistically speaking, they have to start getting results back in. You know, obviously, they just have to bounce back, and it's one bad result against Bayern. It's not going to kill your season. But they have to really watch out that this doesn't become, you know, like a mental strength. Because, yes... Right now, the table is very tight. You know, we've got the biggest points gap between first and second, which, you know, in the Bundesliga isn't uncommon. But when when you're in Berlin's at the top of the table, different different kind of season. Well, on the subject of uh, Dortmund and Union Berlin, there was a, we'll call it an error-filled match at the uh, and uh, Alton Forsterei. I'm going to start with the second goal because that, was, for me, is the bigger error. Yeah, Kalim Adiemi trying to backheel it at the halfway line to a player for a give and go and losing the ball because, you know, he's trying to be fancy. You know, yeah, he's a young player and he'll probably learn from that, but Jesus Christ. Mats Hummels said it at the beginning of the game. We need to get the 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 simple things right rather than the flashy things right. And then Kalim Adiemi is like, huh, well... Screw what the captain says. I'm going to do my thing. And that's how the 2-0 came about. I, wa- I want to talk about Dortmund as a collective, though. Because Lothar Matthäus said it as well. It's obvious that Marco Rosa wasn't the problem at Dortmund. Lucien Favre wasn't the biggest problem at Dortmund. Favre maybe couldn't inspire his players. And I'm still going to stand by what I said a couple of seasons ago on this podcast, which is Favre isn't the guy who will inspire and lead a squad of players to titles. That's not going to happen. But still, it seems pretty obvious that now, no matter which manager they get in, even an Edin Tezic who has such a high status at the club with the players because of what he did in the season when they sacked Lucien Favre and still managed to get a uh, Dave Bipuka win the season before Marco Olsen took over. And even Edin Tezic now, having been given the reins ahead of the summer transfer window and being able to get the transfers in that he wanted. And still, it's not clicking at Dortmund. 
I mean, I don't know about you, but I think that, you know, that constitutes a big, big question of the mentality, which is what we've discussed multiple times on this podcast. It's it's really difficult because I really want to like Dortmund. And obviously, it's it's funny as when Matt Hummel says we need to get the, the basics and the fundamentals right and then Karim Adeyemi. Oh, I'm not saying it was a deliberate disobey of, of what the captain said. I'm not saying that because it's probably just a bit of naivety from a youngster. But in my mind, it just have that Malcolm in the middle clip where Dewey sat there and goes, the future's now, old man. Is all I can think about. But you're a goalkeeper. You, um, well, I, I, I hope you save shots. I've been known to, you know, parry wow. a couple. Well, I've seen you play once and you got chipped and it was really funny. Um, <laughs> um, what goes through Gregor Kobel's mind when he's trying to save that first one from uh, Yannick Herberer? Well, he's not trying to save it, is he? He's been given a back pass and he's he's just slipped away with his uh, with a standing foot. I, I, yeah, but for me, seems okay, to but, be... no, but for me, for me, but for me, the whole me, like when I saw it flash up on my phone, it was massive error from Gregor Kobe. That's not a massive error from Gregor Kobe. I mean, you can look at it as it as being a massive error in the sense that he was given a back pass and then basically loses the ball and tees it up for Yannick Habla. Yeah, but it's not like he basically fiddled around with the ball and uh didn't get rid of it too quickly or he he passed it right to Yannickawa. He goes to, you know, clear it and slips. As much as media outlets might want to make that out to be a Gregor Kobin mistake, that is just, you know, shit out of luck, more or less. He yeah, slips. It, might be he, shit. it happens. It, ha- it yeah, happens. He slips. It, you feel like it you feel like ass. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not debate. I'm not denying that, you know, as a goalkeeper, you feel responsible. You feel like ass, but at the end of the day, it's not a grand mistake as it's being made out to be. It's just, you know, it shit happens. It was, you know, dumb luck. I get that. And I'm not suggesting he is an overly terrible keeper, but it seems to be more often than not with Gregor Kobel that we come back to this conversation of, oh, he probably should have kept that one out or he definitely should have done better. Is is all I'm saying. I'm going to disagree with you there. I think Kobe is a pretty, pretty decent keeper. He's probably one of the better keepers in the league. But, you know, if you look at also the fact that he just been coming back from injury, he needs to get back in the rhythm of play. It basically is fitting that something like that happens to him. And at the end of the day, Dortmund were going to lose that match one way or another. It doesn't matter that Kobe made the mistake because someone else was going to make that mistake as well. So that's the bigger issue at Dortmund then? Yeah. Not necessarily that uh, there's going to be one player that always makes a mistake, but the mistake is always going to come from somewhere. It seems to be because, you know, and and it has to be a mentality thing. There's no other way to, to, to look at it because, you know, you've got players like uh, Niklas Zule, who last season was the most solid option at centre-back for Bayern when he wasn't injured. And now this season, he can't even get a game in over Mats Hummels, who was basically deemed to only be, you know, even by us, was going to be, you know, at best third choice center back. And now he's, you know, even doing playing better than than Nico Schlotterbeck. It's 
it, 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 or it's Karim Adiemi who's you know making stupid backheel passes like that. Where I think Edin Tezic must have been thinking, "Oh my Jesus Christ, just get it right." Um, it, then you also add in the fact that Hummels has now multiple times in post-match interviews started criticizing his teammates, which is for me something where I agree with what Imre Can said. Also afterwards, he was like. Every player is, you know, does their own thing. Me personally, I would talk about that internal club internally and not do it in front of a running camera. Uh, I wouldn't want to, you know, discuss that out in the open. I want to get it done and talked about first before I talk about that in front of the media. And I agree with him totally. And that's just, you know, that's just one of the many things that's not going right at Dortmund right now. Add in the injuries that they're getting as well. Well, that's that's another factor, but I agree with Matt Summers because is it? Yeah, because clearly they they obviously talk about it internally. I'm not suggesting they lose that game against Union and then go, oh well, next week off we go, completely no, brush it under no, the carpet. But... Something that happened, but clearly those internal conversations aren't having an effect. So some players probably need to be called out in public, so everyone else goes, oh well, yeah, maybe maybe they aren't that good. Yeah, but I'd I'd argue the other way is that they're you know it's just going to go get on the players' nerves. Me well, personally, some, someone's going to probably need that. Yeah, no, but what is me personally? If I'm making a mistake, I don't need the captain uh, or one of the senior figures in that team going, "Oh yeah, he's done this and this shit" before even coming to me about it, and he does it in front of a in front of a recording camera. Yeah, but again, maybe that's it's not the first time that these things have happened. Maybe he's given them the chance to improve and to do better. They've not taken the internal conversations on board. So now he goes public. And like I don't know, maybe I'm just a football purist. I don't know. <laughs> but like I said, it all goes back to that, you know, because it won't be the likes of uh, Nicholas Sula, Karim Adeyemi, Schlotterbeck that get binned off it'll be Matt Summers and it is a very case of the future is now old man yeah but you know Dortmund still have to figure out what is good what they can do to make it better I mean I still think that Marco Royce being captain when he is fit is a big issue I don't well, see I mean, him as a leader Marco Royce being fit in itself is an issue at the moment well yeah i mean i'm not saying that he's a bad player but i'm saying him as a leader he always just bitches and moans in front of the camera and then um, yeah, so, so does bruno fernandez well yeah okay but you know we've we'll, we'll talk about that issue in a second um <laughs> but yeah that i think you know michael was in and of himself is just not a leader you can't he's not the guy who comes and says Oh yeah, you know times are tough. Let's grab, let's pull us, pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and let's go. It's oh the referee was shit. Oh we didn't get this call. Oh you know it's just everything was going against us and it just annoys me that now everyone's talking about our mentality again. Yeah, everyone's talking about your mentality again because that's the only thing that hasn't changed. I'm gonna say it now. And it will be the last thing I say before we move on to talk about the Premier League. Uh, Dortmund captain next season should be Jude Bellingham. Yeah, uh, wholeheartedly agree. That guy actually has what it takes. Jude Bellingham is one of the most outstanding midfielders ever. And, you know, I'm not going to waste my breath about, you know, the uh, Copa trophy. 
that uh, should have no, gone no, to either him or Musiala. No, no, no. We, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that at the end of this podcast. But yeah, you know, to just just going back to Grigor Kolbe, I think the media made too much of a deal about his error. It wasn't, you know, his full-blown error, if you will. You know, shit happens. You slip. It sucks. But it's not like he made the error of holding onto the ball too long or taking a bad first touch um, or something like that. You know, he just slipped. Shit happens. Move on. But seeing as uh, we can, we want to keep continuing about the goalkeepers, let's move on to the Premier League. Just before we talk, Allison and Edison, I just wanted to do something I didn't think I would ever do. And that's give some praise to Kepa. Whoa. I, I mean, I, I just remember us trashing him a couple of seasons ago on this podcast and being like, oh, 80 mil for a guy like that. Got him sitting on the bench now. And to, to be fair, the some of the saves he pulled off against Aston Villa at the weekend were next level. Like the triple the triple yeah. save specifically was unreal. The but, reason that Chelsea stayed or kept Villa to zero goals. I mean the and it's so so important. You know, Chelsea now I think five wins in the last five. It's not a bad record to have. And especially, you know, with the goalkeeper actually making it, you know, we were talking about the start of the season. It's almost you know like a greek tragedy that edward mendy who was so good last season became a symbol of chelsea's downfall and now since he was injured and kepa came back between the sticks no one's talking about mendy anymore no i don't like kepa said little by little i lost confidence and made mistakes i understood the criticism as part of the job but sometimes it goes too far. When you go out to hurt someone or write lies that have nothing to do with football, you cross a line. So he's had a lot of stick. Oh, unbelievable amounts. And for him to have the mental fortitude to pull himself back out of that and get back to where he is, my hat off to him. Because he's he's turned his career around. I mean, there was talk of, go, of him going back to Bilbao in the summer. I would have just been ridiculous. But we are here to focus on two other goalkeepers from arguably the biggest game of the week. Well, not arguably, was the biggest game of the week. So Liverpool beat Man City when everyone was expecting them to get absolutely thrashed, turn over. And a surprisingly quiet game for Erling Haaland. Didn't really impact the game very much. Had a, a header that was easy for Alisson. But... Before Liverpool scored, Edison made a fantastic save one-on-one. And you don't see it until the replay that he gets, you know, the slightest fingertip to that ball. But it just, just puts it around the post. And then down the other end, Alisson catches a a poor free kick from Kevin De Bruyne, which we don't see very often. Straight to Mohamed Salah. It's a it's a mistake by Jao Cancelo. Just 
say it now, that's what you get for having number seven on your back as a fullback. <laughs> but the ball just sort of bounces under him. There's no, there's no bias there, is there? To be cool fair, stuff. to be fair, you were that was a match where you were just like, oh, they both lose. Yeah, can somehow both? Well, if any, if in a way both teams did lose because Diogo Jota got injured. Um, whoa! Whoa! <laughs> whoa! Whoa! That was that was a that was a bit harsh. He's fine. He'll be out till after the World Cup, and then he'll come back and score a hat trick against us. It's fine. Um, but again, I want to know from a goalkeeper's perspective, what's it like? Like, how much confidence does it give you when you a make a save like Edison made? And B, I don't know if you ever have, but if you get an assist from your distribution or, you know, you have some good distribution. Actually have gotten an assist. Have you actually? Oh, my God. Fantastic. You're not just a chip merchant. No, but I mean, to be fair, if if we're going to be honest, I have a feeling the wind helped a little bit. Oh, we take that. We, we we don't know. We don't know. All I know is that it, there was an assist. And last season, I did score a brace in our final match. But, you know, it was against the uh, last last place team with a goal difference of 12 to 116, I think. You know. We move. We move. And, and we all pulled positions out of a hat. But more on my, uh, you know, Sunday league footballing exploits later. As a goalkeeper, those saves... They give you an insane amount of confidence, obviously. Um, you know, it's the classic trait of when, when you pull off a brilliant save, you start yelling at your back lines like, what are you doing? Why are you letting him shoot like that? Why are you letting him get into a position like that? You know, when you just basically, you're, you're on an adrenaline high and, you know, you've just saved your team's ass. Um, the distribution part doesn't happen as often because there are, there are only a select few goalkeepers who I think have the skill to make or to do something like like what Allison did um because you have to be really quick about it and you have to have a, a perfect volley on you you have to see it right away and it's just the thought process just has to be instantaneous and for me there are only a few goalkeepers and two of them were standing on that pitch you know Ederson's I'd argue Ederson's uh distribution is almost better than Allison's um which is you know seems a little bit uh a little bit hypocritical of me saying that seeing as i've just praised Allison's perfect uh punt to mosella but um yeah i think so few goalkeepers have that on lock so that just makes it all the more special to see what Allison did and you know to talk about the fact that liverpool were a team down and out before this match was going on to still be able to pull that off. Insane. Okay, well let's let's look at that then because I said to I was asked about it beforehand. As I'd probably be three 0 uh city. Well how wrong could you have been? <laughs> Again, just backs up my point that one thing I have learned is that I know nothing about football. It's okay, there are two that makes two of us here. Yeah. But again, I don't think anyone really expected it because no. But Liverpool were the much better side. They looked a lot better. Yeah, they beat West Ham on Wednesday night at the time of recording. Oh, yeah, okay, Jared Bowen missed a penalty, but 
they still saw the win out. So that's now two wins on the spin. And it was only last week we were, we were calling for how much time do you give Jurgen Klopp? I mean, okay, there's questions over his uh, pitch side manner because he was sent off for shouting in the in the Lino's ear. Yeah, okay, but I think that was deserved. That's that says more about the standard of, of English officiating than it does about Jurgen Klopp. I was so, about to say, you know, for him for him to get a red card after that, I mean, probably probably warranted with the way he went off at the linesman, but the reason he went off. You know, I can understand why. Oh yeah, definitely. So, where do Liverpool go from here? Because they still probably going to qualify for the next round of the Champions League, barring a shock loss to Ajax and Napoli on the last. To be fair, the seven-one against Rangers does help their goal tally a little bit. It does, but again, it's not a fair reflection because Rangers haven't hadn't scored in the Champions League before they went and played Liverpool. And even then, Rangers scored first. So Napoli and Ajax still to come for Liverpool. If they beat Ajax, they're through. And the if way that lose, Ajax have been losing the last If they lose to Ajax and they lose to Napoli and Ajax win their last two games, which granted, once against Napoli, is probably not going to happen anyway. Seventh in the Premier League now. And... But you look at the teams above them, you know, Arsenal only lost once this season, City only lost once, Spurs lost twice, Chelsea twice, United lost three times, even Newcastle are above them, two points above them. Yeah, okay, but Newcastle are basically now breaking into the top six. I'll give it time. I'm going to go that far. You know, we're we're talking about the normal top six and we're talking about how long it took Manchester City to get a Premier League title out of their um, shape takeover. How long did it take him? Two seasons, I think. The takeover was 2009, 2011, uh, the first one, the first title came around. Yeah, but let's be fair. There was less money being thrown around by people in the Premier League then. Now the likes of City, Chelsea, even United throw money around stupidly. So there's not a case of Newcastle are going to throw money at it and and automatically win. It's just not going to happen. No, but I still wager the fact that they, I, you know, we talked about it last season as well. I mean, last week as well, the fact, or two weeks ago, that Newcastle have a very, very real chance of becoming a team that make, you know, minimum Europa League places in the next few seasons. Well, uh, we can talk about that when it comes to it. But one last word on Liverpool. Do you think they've uh, got enough in them to qualify for the Champions League this season? Do you think they're going to get top four? Yes. At the expense of who? Who do you think is going to... Because at the moment, obviously, City, yeah, definitely. You, barring some catastrophic drop-off, probably Arsenal. So who drops? City, uh, Spurs, Chelsea, United. Because I'm going to say Spurs. I was going to say Spurs as well, in all honesty, because Spurs have been a little bit hit and miss this season. Not going to lie. So that's one to keep an eye on. And uh, before we move on to Ballon d'Or, I suppose we've got to talk about him, haven't we? I know you're sick of the of the whole thing, but 
the fact that we're you know even talking about him and not about the fact that United did beat Spurs, even though I'd argue Spurs would probably favorited favorites to win that. And we're only talking about the fact that Ronaldo threw a temper tantrum again and left the bench when Ten Hag still has two subs available. We have to talk about it. You know, how long do you, do you just get rid of Ronaldo now as fast as possible? In an ideal world, he goes after the World Cup. But the world is not ideal. And it's not a case of the fact that United want to get rid of him. It's a fact that who takes him? Who is who's taking that wages on? Because he wants to be main man and he wants to compete. So he can't be some no one team that's going to pay him wages in Qatar or Saudi Arabia. Newcastle. <laughs> Again, I don't think he'd play for Newcastle. Well, it's also kind of uh linked with living in Newcastle. So <laughs> sorry, any 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 Newcastle residents listening to this are probably just gonna hate me now. But you know, I have been. I I'd wager that there are definitely nicer cities to live in in the UK. Obviously, you know, even excluding London. Like London's a shit on most part anyway. But anyway. <laughs> True, we would know that. It's <laughs> it's it's a difficult one because okay, he's still a club legend, and I won't hear anyone say anything otherwise. But the longer it goes on, the longer he essentially throws his toys out the fucking pram. Well, that's that's exactly my question: is how long until he starts tarnishing his reputation and can no longer be considered a club legend? He'll always be considered a club legend. I don't think there's any. There's any doubt of that because he was an 18 year old kid when he joined us. So there's and, no and became way. and became this fantastic. Well, he he won the Ballon d'Or when he played for us for the first time. He became the best player in the world when he played for us. Yeah, but so there's there's no amount of bitching and you know being a little petulant child that could make you say, do you know what his he's tarnished his reputation so much he should just leave. And he's no longer a club legend. There's no amount of that. Obviously, there's an amount of it, but it won't happen this season. The, the only way it would happen was if he stayed for years and years. He doesn't even have years and years left in him, I don't think. Well, that's the thing. Time catches up with people. And as Waza said, I've got the perfect analogy. Have you seen oh. Cars? Have you seen Cars 3? Which one is the Cars 3 one? You know, the third one. Well, yeah. No, I'm trying to think if I remember uh, if I remember because it's been a long time since I watched any Cars movie. So Lightning McQueen is racing, but all the modern cars and new ah, cars yeah, 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 I've seen, yeah, I've seen overtake him. Yeah, he can't exactly. quite. He, he can't. Yeah. Get, that is exactly what's happening. Yeah. The absolute peak in the absolute pinnacle, and I said it. Someone was like, "Oh well, you know, Messi would never." Uh, well, Messi's gone to a lesser league to essentially ball out in France. And he wasn't, and he was struggling in the French league last season. But you know the numbers speak for themselves. We've had two games with Ronaldo in the Premier League this season. Well, in the eight, starting eleven, you mean? In the starting eleven, eight without him. So uh, we've covered more distance in the games without him, and the points per game we were in those two games. We got 
0.5 of a point. So th- basically the only point we got with him starting was the draw against Newcastle. And there were no goals scored in that. And we're averaging 2.25 points a game without him. The, the team just plays better. It's not a reflection on Ronaldo. It's a reflection on how the manager wants to play. Well, it's the fact that he no long. I mean, he's 38 or he's turning 38 in February. He just no longer has, or it seems like he no longer has the the physical capacity to press or he just doesn't seem to want to press the way Ten Hag wants you guys to do it. And, you know, Ten Hag himself said, you know, I thought Rashford offered a better option as a striker because of the way he works against the ball. That's a pretty clear message. Yeah, of course it is. And it's just the way the manager wants to play. It's not a reflection on on Ronaldo's ability because that's if you if you question that then you deserve to be punched in the in the throat. Well, but here's, here's... for the benefit but for, you know for the benefit of everyone just needs to find somewhere. George Mendes is a fantastic agent. He'll find him a club whether it be back to Sporting mm. Lisbon or whatever, but someone will take him. Yeah, but here's here's my thing. You say that no one should be doubting Ronaldo's ability. And I wouldn't say I'm doubting the fact that he, you know, he still has an unreal talent on the ball and can still score goals in the top leagues. But how long or how, how much ability is left in him from a physical standpoint? Again, because it depends I'd, on what league I'd argue playing. he's deb- yeah, but I'd argue he's debilitating now to the fact that he is just not able to score in the top leagues anymore uh, because of the fact that he just can't keep up with it. Is is that the case? How how long no, do you no, give, how not. long do that's, you give him? That's that's bullshit because he did it last season for us when the team was centered around him. Yeah, but he, here's the thing. Now the, the new man's getting now older. the new manager. Yeah, but he's he's only a year's difference. He scored goals for us last season. Yeah, okay, but in in a year's time, a lot can happen because he's at the very twilight of his career. I'd argue he doesn't keep on playing past 40. And, you know, even him getting to 40 is going to be a stretch. Again, it depends where he's playing. If he goes back, I'd argue, if he, if he goes back, back to Portugal, Portugal he'll, tell, he'll tear that league up, obviously. But, you know, if we're, we're talking about the fact that he still wants to compete at the highest level, do you think he can compete and honestly be as big as he was three seasons ago and compete at the highest level. Well, no, but no one can. Give it another another couple of seasons, you'll be having that conversation about Messi. Do you think we will already have that conversation about Messi after this season? No, because Messi's like three or four years younger. Well, yeah, but you know, we're, we're still talking about the fact that in the French League, he took a whole season where he was just bang average at best. I don't know. It's one of those ones, but he 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 basically fucked off before full time. And he reads uh, reading the Athletic, and apparently no one cared in the dressing room. No one was really bothered about it. They were too busy celebrating a fantastic team win, which is good. But the media coverage still is focused on the fact that Ronaldo is it, and that that's just crap. But because what, you're focusing on the wrong aspect. What, of that match. what were we told at uni? If you can write about United, 
you'll get clicks, sell papers, get views, whatever. That's all well, it yeah. is. It's all about getting people to read, watch, and listen. Well, I can tell you right now that, the, you know, at, at Sport One, for instance, if there is a buy on topic, that video or that story will be basically marketed and teased through the buy on version of events. Because buy on topics just click a lot more than any other team in, in the Bundesliga. Exactly. But let's leave this because I'm bored of Ronaldo <laughs> being a, a whiny bitch. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Fair I enough. Choose, I choose to remember the good side. Let's finish uh, with the Ballon d'Or and a bit of weird news in football. Okay, so Ballon d'Or going to Benzema, I think. Fully deserved. Yeah. I, I think we could both agree on that one and it would have been a crime if it had gone to anyone else. We saw enough of the crimes a season ago when Messi got the Ballon d'Or. Enough of it. The Get Müller Trophy being implemented now good or bad decision i mean it's just another way to prolong these fucking ceremonies it's the same reason they've got the lev yashin trophy because like goalkeepers were bitching and moaning about not winning the ballon d'Or. thibaut courtois was bitching and moaning about not winning it this year it's like mate you won best goalkeeper and he was like as a keeper you can't do more winning the league and the champions league the way we did Naturally, being in the top 10, it's fantastic. But unfortunately, when the voting comes, keepers are being overlooked. Well, I'd argue that if he had done a good enough job, then he wouldn't have been overlooked because a certain Manuel Neuer made it into the top three of the Ballon d'Or 2014. Still didn't win it, though. Well, yeah, yeah, he still didn't win it, but he's the closest any goalkeeper has come by a long shot. Let's be honest. It's all a load of bullshit. Uh, because yeah. Gavi won the Copper Trophy over G. Bellingham and Jamal Musiala, which I'm not just saying, oh, well, they're in the Bundesliga, so they should have won. They're vastly superior also, in every aspect of their game. I saw on, on uh, Instagram a couple of comments like, oh, yeah, Gavi starts for Spain and Barcelona. One, who at Barca is going to start over Gavi at this point? <laughs> well, Frankie de Jong probably has uh, something to say about that. Yeah, I know, but he still doesn't. De Jong's, I've seen De Jong come off the bench more from Barca than I've ever seen him come off the bench. Oh, yeah. Imagine if he joined a team that was actually going to start him in the summer. Imagine that. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but exactly. So, And we're talking about a Spain team that probably have the worst midfield in the last 15 years of the Spanish national team. <laughs> and then it's they were like, oh, yeah. Man. Musiala and and Bellingham don't start for their country. Well, first of all, yes, they does do. start. Yeah, exactly. Yes, they do. Second of all, for their clubs, Musiala is joint top scorer with Leroy Sané and Sadio Mane this season in the Bundesliga for Bayern. Andrew Bellingham has captained Dortmund in the Champions League this season. So, and how Barca get in the Champions League? Remind exactly. me. Oh, yes. If Inter Milan win their next game, Barcelona go down, which is fucking hilarious. I'm sorry, but they fully deserve it. You don't spending 153 million when you're 1.35 billion in debt. You deserve everything coming to you. On that note, also, Lewandowski never wins a Ballon d'Or. Yes or no? No, he won't win it now. Exactly. No matter, no matter what. Yeah. Again, no matter what he does at Barca, he'll never 
do he'll never achieve what he achieved at Bayern. That season that he beat Gerd Müller's goal scoring record should have been the year he won the Ballon d'Or. Yeah, but he's also joined a sinking ship. That's my main reason. He's joined Barcelona at the worst possible time you could have ever joined Barcelona. Yeah, well. Let us know what you thought of the Ballon d'Or ceremony. Who would have won if you were in charge? And uh, let's finish with a little bit of weird news. And uh, would you like to go first, seeing as we're talking about Barcelona? Well, as many of you know, Spotify have invested heavily in Barcelona, become the shirt sponsor and whatnot. And that was the main reason why Barcelona also played with Drake's Owl logo in El Clasico at the weekend because Spotify basically are promoting, you know, the artists that are releasing new stuff and whatnot. And the weird, but for us, hilarious bit of news is that Gerard Piquet might actually have to wear a shirt that is sponsoring his ex-wife Shakira and her new album. <laughs> It doesn't get much better than this. <laughs> My... <sighs> I mean, never in the history of shirt sponsorships has a shirt sponsorship become such a boomerang for one of, one of the club's players. Jesus Christ. Imagine you've just had like a mess. I mean, it's been rumored to have big, become a quite messy divorce. You know, I'm not saying, you know, we should all cry and look at their messy divorce and whatnot, because I think that is, you know, obviously it sucks. But for the fact that, you know, a messy divorce then comes and bites you in the ass the way it has now or might do for Gerard Piquet is a little bit funny. <laughs> oh, imagine. Do you reckon he's going to like tape over it? Imagine he just doesn't wear a kit. He's just like, fuck that. No, I mean, let's be honest, the way he's playing at the moment, he probably won't play anyway. <laughs> oh yeah, he won't even he won't even have to wear the kit. He'll just stay in the warm-up top the whole time. He'll be fine. Yeah, that's hilarious. That's so funny. Uh, oh, Jesus Christ. Imagine the scenes. Oh. Well, do you remember Raja Nangolan? Oh yes. The guy Roma the and an and Inter Milan player. The Belgian international who I most remember for the tattooed neck and really, really similar hairstyle to Prime Arturo Vidal, who incidentally also had neck tattoos. So they're probably and they and he, they both they both played at the uh, center defensive midfield position. So you know technically it's more or less the same player. He's just he's just a Belgian version of uh, Arturo Vidal. Well, he's currently at Royal Antwerp, back in his native Belgium, and uh, he's currently been suspended for uh, smoking on the subs bench. Let's not forget it was an e-cigarette as well. Which, if anything, you know, mate, you're like a 34-year-old man smoking a, a vape like a child. At least smoke a real cigarette. <laughs> at least have a Rothmans Blue. <laughs> or, or just put, bust out a Cuban. Just, you know, Cuban cigar. Just go for the full nine yards. Well, uh, they've uh, ex they've expelled him from the A-team indefinitely. Um, because he's also uh, enjoying the drink a little bit as well, apparently. So, I'm sorry, but, you know, the they've mainly suspended him for the smoking on the bench, yeah? 
imagine what would have happened in the era of, you know, Johann Cruyff, Mario Basler. Uh, here, also, um, oh, what's his name? What's his name? What's his name? Um, Are you thinking of Mr. Gascoigne? Yes, that's the one. Jesus, I was blanking on it. Yeah, Mr. Paul Gascoigne. Like, I'm sorry, there was a story about Mario Baza when he was playing for Bayern. He was like, yeah, we were all having the smoke. There were about seven or eight of us in the hot tub. We were all having the smoke. The manager comes in, and all of a sudden, six cigarettes are in the hot tub. Who's smoking or continues to smoke? Mario freaking Baza. Well, there we go. That's uh, something a little bit different, and uh, we will keep it up whenever there is some uh, weird or different news for football. But that's all we have time for this week. And as always, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to AT Sports News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And make sure to check out the 50 Plus One football podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. But thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm and love the beautiful game.